Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. For many of us, the road is a difficult one, but the path is always there for us to follow, no matter how many times we may fall. Hey there friends, I'm Nuclear Yuki, and welcome to another episode of A Nuclear Reading Show. Today, we're continuing on with K-Cat's Fallout Equestria. If you're enjoying what I'm bringing to the cold, dark wasteland, don't be afraid to tell your friends about me, or find me on Twitter as Nuclear Yuki. It's a big help. And also, since the gangs can be a bit feisty, Fallout is owned by Bethesda, and Hasbro made my little pony, Friendship is Magic. With all that said and done, welcome, friends, to the Wasteland. Chapter 41. Towards Hope. Madness. I stood there, the streamlet flowing behind absolutely everything washing over my hooves, and stared at calamity, my jaw unhinged. There was simply no other word. Calamity's plan was insane. Hell, it wasn't even a plan. Plans had plan stuff. Calamity had a bunch of ideas and vague hopes tied together by multiple points of, and then something happens. We didn't have who or what we needed to even try it. I doubted we could get them. Well? he asked, 
earnestly seeking my approval. I am beginning to agree with Velvet Remedy, I told him, recalling her reaction to his actions in the Zebratan police headquarters. So you're willing to give it a try? God damn it. Clamty was staring at me with the eyes of a foal, hoping for my acceptance, my support of this madness, this plan. It was something he needed to try, needed like a starving pony needs food. I manufactured a smile. I don't have a better plan, I admitted. Sure. We were all going to die. Watch as Spritebot bobbed in the rain beside us, silently listening. Finally, the mechanical voice of the disguised Spike plaintively asked, Is there anything I can do, guys? I'm really sorry. I thumped my rain-soaked forehead with an even wetter hoof. Think, think you silly mare. Yes! I asserted, looking sidelong at the sprite bot. Yes, there is. What? Spike asked. I waved a hoof. Just wait there for a moment. First, I need to talk to Gord. What I don't understand, I told Calamity as we started to walk back towards the front of absolutely everything, is why the Wonderbolts haven't already hit us. The Wonderbolts are fast, right? Calamity looked askance. Fast. You could say that, yeah. Lightning flashed across the sky. Shouldn't they have gotten to Ironshawl already? I reckoned, talking above the rumbling thunder. It wouldn't take long to get my tag. Not if Lensflare was as skilled as it sounded. I knew Appaloosa was an awfully short flight from Ironshot Firearms. They're probably caught up in committee. Calamity snarked wryly. I halted, my hooves growing muddy, and Calamity gave a confused look. Surely he wasn't saying they had to, what, file a hunting plan? Were all the ponies in the sky crazy? Calamity turned the corner, almost knocking over Railwright. I heard the two stallions multiple apologies as I caught up. Railwright was standing under the eave of Ditsy Doo's store, apparently waiting for some pony. At the sight of me, he nodded, then cast a furtive glance towards the lights along the city wall. Last I'd seen Railwright, he was escorting away several ponies who had dared to come below the enclave's cloud cover. Where are the new Pegasi? I asked the sheriff slash mayor, just wondering how much I'd slept through. Railwright glanced at Calamity before answering, I put it to work assist in the community. In return, they have a place in the common house until they can better situate themselves. I looked at Calamity questioningly. My Pegasus friend scowled, his tone sour as he informed me. Enclave Radio broadcast an after aid misplaced citizens. Tracker accepted the offer at face value and flew off, promising to contact Frost by a pit buck as soon as he was scarsad. That was over six hours ago. Calamity was worming some sense into the two mares when that broadcast came on. Railwright added, That mare with the pit buck is some kind of ex-military, I think. Something about their broadcast spooked her proper. I found myself feeling distinctly worried for Tracker. And um, what brings you to Ditsy's Pass, Sheriff? Clamsey asked, trying to sound casual. Railwright shook his head at the Pegasus' suspicion. I tried to remember that Railwright and Clamsey had known each other for years. Their relationship had always been cordial, if not downright friendly, before Bellfire bombs and rogue Pegasi got thrown into the mix. Getting a weather report from the Grimfeathers, Railwright told him. Thunderstorm spreads off the shores of Buckland all the way to the edge of Hope. Storms cleansing the air of the smoke from the Everfree. There's nasty rain out all over Splendid Valley. Ah, it's cause that place needs to be more toxic. Calamity nickered. Just our luck that the broken weather from the Everfree is keeping the storm out. 
Railright added, It's almost like that place wants to be on fire. Hope? I asked Calamity. Yup, Calamity agreed. Then, seeing my confusion, You've been there before, little Pip. That rubble that used to be Hope is only about a few hours down the tracks. The town with that old weapons factory, Railright clarified, and shot firearms. I remembered walking through the playground of Hope. I'd seen my first Ministry of Morale poster there. I just hadn't known the town's name. And you got the array a few miles back from it, towards Everfree. The what now? I asked, confused. Array? Hope Solo Array, Calamity told me, sounding a little bored. Big bunch of dishes pointed up at the clouds. Best I can gather. Ponies of the old world tried all sorts of crazy ways to get power when their coal supply got strangled. Now that I didn't see. Granted, the only time I'd been up high enough to have glimpsed it out of a factory window, I was a little bit busy outrunning collapsing catwalks. I paused to process this. Technology for turning sunlight into energy. Made sense considering Twilight Sparkle's ministry had been working on weaponizing sunlight. And this Celestia One, or Celestia Prime, or whatever they're calling it, can't even be cast unless it's sunny. I can't tell the princess that the only defense we have against those missiles can be defeated by a cloudy day. What if the Zebras were to attack us at night? Clearly, there were still some bugs to be worked out. But even the hope of power of the wasteland was just one more reason Equestria deserved and needed to see the sun. All generators and spark batteries weren't going to last forever. Calamity was reaching his hoof towards the door when it swung open. Regina Grimfeathers framed in the doorway. My friend backed up as the griffin pushed her way out, nodding to all of us. The gun-toting adolescent griffin leaned against the wall where Ditsy's sign had been and pulled out a pack of cigarettes. Absolutely everything's porch was getting crowded. Any of you see where that little unicorn ran off to? Reggie asked casually as she lit up a cigarette. Since I was standing right there, I assumed the little unicorn she was talking about was Silverbell. Calamity had come to the same conclusion. Silverbell's missing? She'd been inside just minutes ago. Rather right bit his lower lip. I think I saw her headed up to the toilets. Oh. Um, let's not form a search party then. I was mentally glaring daggers at Watcher as I added. Give her some privacy. Coming swiftly on the hooves of that thought, the realisation that New Appaloosa had public bathrooms struck me across the forehead like a nail board. Ow. Damn it. Of course they did. What had I been thinking? Now what you blushing about, little pip? Oh, thank you, Calamity. Couldn't let that go unasked, could you? Nope. You were, um, saying something about committees? Calamity mercifully took the hint, jumping back onto the former topic like he'd never left it. Remember I told you the Enclave keeps Pegasi, who can do the Sonic Rainboom real close? Well, now you can see why. With all the cloud tech the Enclave relies on, not to mention the cloud curtain, they view the Sonic Rainboom as a weapon of mass destruction. I looked towards where one of the raptors had come down on the town. Work lights had been set up, illuminating it through the pouring rain. The silhouettes of ponies moved about it through the downpour, scavenging. You gotta realise, little Pip, that when the Pegsar closed the sky, we'd lost just one city. Just one. Granted, Clansdale was the biggest, but that still left several more that survived pretty much untouched by the war. All that pre-war technology and magic, they've been repurposing and recycling all that stuff for centuries. Lightning split the sky. Thunder pounded down on us like it was trying to drive us into the mud. But they can't make more, Calamity shouted. Pegasi can't make magic items like unicorns or zebras, and there ain't nothing up there to build with except what was left over from the past. And clouds. 
Plants make for good peckers at homes, but they aren't so useful for making armor and bullets. I remembered how my hoof passed right through the Enclave Terminal interface. The few manners that rise above the clouds of Adam and stripped of their resources are homes for nasty things the Enclave would rather not piss off. Like Spike. The Enclave invaded the Griffin Skies a few generations ago just to get at their mountains. Calamity nodded to Reggie, who took a long drag from one of her cigarettes and spat a curse at the sky. When the war ended, Calamity added, the Pegasus had about 50 raptors, only four thunderheads, and no ability to make more, including the four raptors it took out with a Belfire bomb, and the one down near Stalingrad. The Enclave has lost a dozen of their warships in under a week, more than they've lost in 200 years, and four of them were taken out by Dictadu's toxic rain boom. Calamity gave me a meaningful stare. The Enclave must be about pissing themselves right now. I wished he hadn't used that particular phrase. Good, I said firmly, and then asked, What does that have to do with the Wonderbolts? Calamity rolled his eyes. Ain't an obvious little pip? I told you, the Enclave keeps all Pegasi who can do the sonic rain boom real close. Oh, now I got it. The Wonderbolts. Any Pegasus who proved capable of performing a sonic rain boom was drafted into the Enclave's celebrity hit squad. That meant that the ponies hunting us were all that good. I liked Calamity's plan even less. And when the Enclave saw what Ditsy did, I guessed, putting the pieces together, they pulled the Wonderbolts into... I searched for an appropriate phrase. Emergency tactical meetings, calling on their expertise to try to get a handle on this new threat. Calamity nodded. Something like that. They have no idea how many ghoul Pegasi live down here, he stated, causing me to think back to the flock of zombie Pegasi we had to outrun in the Cloudsdale outskirts. And if this do could do it, theoretically just about any sufficiently irradiated ghoul Pegasus should be capable of pulling off a toxic rainbow. Yes, the Enclave must really be pissing themselves. Upshot is, I reckon we got a few days before the Wonderbolt to harden our tails. Gord was talking to Ditsy Doo when I entered the store. Cage and the bodyguard were next to them, huddled around a spool table, playing a game involving rectangles of hardened paper. My curiosity urged me to divert long enough to pick in on the game. Each griffin held a number of the colourfully marked papers in their talons, and there were six more piles of papers face up on the table, as well as two face down that they seemed to be drawing new papers from as they played. I would have watched longer, trying to understand the rules, but I didn't want to leave Watcher waiting. And besides... The game was clearly not for ponies. A unicorn might be able to hold those little papers fanned out like that. Why learn a game you couldn't properly play with your Pegasi or Earth Pony friends? Trotting up to Gord, who was nodding at something Dixie Doo had written on her chalkboard, I interrupted as politely as I could. Dixie Doo stepped back, nodding with a smile. Gord, there's something I need from you. I wanted to ask this as a favour. The little pony in my head reminded me that favours weren't how Gord worked. Gord respected the contract. The gruff female griffin looked down at me with her one good eye, her expression unreadable. I'm sorry, kid, but you ain't my type. But, ah? Uh, I thought she was... But then, what else would she think after, after her daughter caught me looking at her? It's, uh, it's nothing like that. I stomped, recovering. Part of me wanted to bury myself and hide until I drowned in my own embarrassment. But this was too important. And besides, I wasn't interested in her like that. I mean, sure, but I had homage, and it was very likely I wasn't going to be around much longer. 
the last damn thing I was going to do in my remaining days here was cheat on homage. The little mare on my head whimpered. I'm not. Not helping? Gordonia raised an eyebrow. Well, of course not. I mentally hissed at my little pony. She's a griffin with children, which highly suggested that she was interested in other griffins. Male ones. I was even having this discussion with myself. Trying to get back on track, I asserted... You have a contract to protect this town, right? Yes, the griffin said slowly, her face shifting into the stern expression of negotiation. But you didn't protect it. Did you do it, did? Yes, she said again, even more slowly. And now there's a really good chance that the Enclave will come after her, and they'll probably wipe out the entire town to get at her if she's here. I could see Ditsy Doo's eyes widen. Gord hadn't been in Friendship City, but Ditsy Doo had seen the horrible lengths the Enclave would go to. Gord was looking at Ditsy Doo and frowning. She's eyed Gilgamesh as her personal bodyguard, but I take it you think I need to do more. I detailed what I wanted Gord to do. About halfway through my explanation, her good eye widened as she turned to me in shock. Are you insane? Apparently, all the ponies in this town were crazy including me. I was with you until the dragon cave, but I think asking me and my griffins to fly Ditsy here above the clouds and into the home of a dragon is stretching the contract I have with this town a might be too far. The dragon won't be hostile. Not to you, I promise. You do, do you? She fixed me with an appraising look. Your relationship with dragons seems to have changed since I last saw. This dragon doesn't eat ponies, I asserted. Or griffins. At least I was pretty sure Spike didn't eat griffins. What did Spike eat, anyway? Just gems? Well, if you want me to liberally interpret the contract to include dragon visiting, God suggested, then maybe you can see a way to liberally interpreting what we're getting paid. I was going to be broke after this, but it was worth it to keep Ditsy Doo safe. And Silverbell. Okay, but you'll have to take both of them. Ditsy and her daughter. As soon as... Where is Silverbell anyway? Shouldn't she be back by now? I looked at Ditsy Doo. Somebody should be watching that filly. The thought struck me swiftly. Where's Zenith? Worry became panic when Stiletto burst in, looking nastily smug. I derpy! That Ditsy filly of yours is up at Railright Station. Need you something bad. The bodyguard, Gilgamesh, was fast. Ditsy Doo was faster. She'd flown out of the door leaving paper rectangles swirling through the air from her backwash, even before my mind could process what the Shattertooth Raider had said. Shooting Stiletto a nasty look, and, uh, Then why aren't you helping? I raced out into the night storm after her. Gilgamesh was in front of me and Calamity behind. I heard Gordonia ordering Cage to watch the store just before the door barged closed behind me. Yep, this was what wet felt like. I thought I was wet a few minutes ago. Wow, I was wrong. The rain was heavier now, falling in sheets that drenched me to the bone before I'd gotten into the street. But I didn't care. All I cared about was Silverbell. The pony in my head was biting her hooves, insisting that I should have gotten the two of them to safety sooner. Why did I have to fall asleep? My hooves splashed in the river beneath me. Calamity and Gilgamesh were faster, reaching the station house that had been claimed by New Appaloosa's mayor-slash-sheriff. Ditsy Doo was already at the front door. The lights were out. Not good. I flirted at little Macintosh, kicking on my ice-forward sparkle. I tried to call out to Ditsy Doo, 
to urge caution, but I was too late. The ghoul pegs are spun in the air and bucked the door open, revealing blackness inside. My EFS compass lit up with dozens of lights just as Dixie pivoted back and flew into the dark moor of the doorway. It was a trap. I lifted little Macintosh in front of me, galloping as fast as I could to catch up. Wait, none of the lights in my EFS compass were hostile red. A flash flood of light poured out of Railright Station as a dozen of colourful new Appaloosans shouted in unison, Surprise! I nearly shot a balloon. A cake floated into view, surrounded by a caramel-coloured field of magic, followed by a familiar yellow unicorn pony with an orange and beige striped mane. The cake was baked in the shape of a giant muffin, echoing the many muffins of the nearby table beneath a glittering banner. Thank you, Ditsy Doo. Ditsy Doo stood in the middle of the room, wide-eyed and stunned. Do you like it? Silverbell asked anxiously. It's a party. The filly seemed nervous. For you, she added. I could tell from her wide, glistening eyes, and by many of the decorations, that the little lavender filly had done most of the work on this surprise thank you party. Probably planned it. There was still a touch of Pinky Bell in her, and at some level this must be triggering odd emotions in the young girl. Ditty Doo made those fears evaporate as she flew to Silverbell, scooping the filly up against her breast and lavishing her with kisses until the girl was crying with happiness. Soon, every pony was enjoying the party. Hello, Crane! I said, turning to the yellow unicorn. I thought I saw a Tepgalisas out there yesterday morning. Crane grinned. Thanks for the catch. Thank you, he insisted. Couldn't have done it without your help. And that little fillies, he added, looking over at Silverbell, who was trying to regain her ability to stand after a dizzying round of hugging. That was the first magic that little gal managed since getting her horn back. And honestly, I haven't seen Mummy there do that rad boom as what did it. Somehow... I was certain he was right. We spent the next hour catching up, which mostly involved me regaling him with all the telekinetic tricks I'd managed in the past two months. To my delight, Crane was duly impressed with my creativity. But it wasn't until I told him about telekinetically flying that I managed to surprise him with my telekinetic prowess. Damn, girl, he said, wide-eyed. That took me years of work to pull off. I felt a little crestfallen that I hadn't managed something unique. But Crane wasn't considered the best telekinetic in the equestrian wasteland for nothing. And at least my learning curve was faster. How far can you get? I can manage one lap in your Appaloosa before my juice runs out. I don't really know, I admitted. I'd made it from the ground to Calamity's shack, but I'd never tested to see how much farther I could push it. I'm afraid that I'll burn out again if I push too hard trying to find out. You've been burning out? He asked. I nodded. Oh, you've been pushing yourself. I'm not surprised. We both jumped as something in the room exploded in confetti. Good news. There's a remedy for that. Crane told me as he floated all the bits of confetti from the two of us, depositing them in a waste bin. A cure for burnout? He had my full attention. Sadly, the wasteland might not have it for much longer. I'm glad a few plants only grow in the Everfree Forest. Reckon they're all burnt up now. Oh, well, crap. Might be willing to part with one of my bottles, though, Crane said slyly. For a favour. Right. Should have seen that coming. Plus, Crane's last favour involved a stable full of chimeras. I'm a little busy being hunted right now, I admitted. If I live through this, I'll keep your offer in mind. Maybe the first time that I'd ever turned down a distracting quest. 
but I really couldn't spare the time. Unless this favour, is any pony in danger? Nope, said Crane. I felt a wash of relief. Please, not that I know of. Well, that was something, at least. That's a farm out on the edge of the Every Forest near the Hope Solar Array. Close enough to the Every for the ground to be farmable. A farm near the Everfree? Maybe it was something in the air. Maybe the crazy was contagious. Sprung up out of nowhere last spring. No idea who built it. Seems like the ponies went through a lot of effort, then abandoned the place. Oh, more likely, got themselves slaughtered by something wandering out of the forest. Crane shrugged. In the background, I spotted Ditsy Doo enjoying a muffin. She had one ear cocked, and I suspected she was listening in. We could sorely use the crops, especially now, Crane stated. The local folks have weird rumours about the farm. First pony who tried to move out all that way came back into town saying it's haunted. Then he stopped coming to town at all. And that was a while ago. Could use a pair of eyes scoping the place out, letting us know if it's safe to move into. He wiggled his eyebrows, assuming Yal aren't afraid of the headless horse. I mulled it over. Tell you what, if I'm out that way, I'll poke around, see what I can find, and let you know. I told him, adding, uh, for the remedy, but my plate's pretty full right now. Dee trotted over. She had scribbled a new message on one of the chalkboards hanging around her neck. Don't worry because they say the farm is haunted. No reason to avoid the place. Ghosts don't exist. Just landmines. I blinked. Landmines? Ditty Doo's pet theory, Crane explained, given the bloody body parts in the places where the ground looked like it had exploded. Meanwhile, Ditty Doo was wiping off her chalkboard. A moment later, she offered, Bring me any mind you find, please. I'll trade for caps and grenades. Yep, definitely contagious. Silverbell galloped up excitedly. Come on, Mummy! Zenith has started to play pin the tail on the pony. Wanna play? The blonde-maned filly started tugging Ditsy Doo away before the ghoul could answer. Wait. Zenith started a game. Then, on second thought, regaining orientation and maintaining accuracy while blinded did sound like an exercise the zebra would be familiar with. I perked my ears, taking a moment to look and listen into the party around me. There was music playing from an old record player similar to the one Amage had, only in far worse condition. The songs were happy and carefree. All the furniture in Railwright's living room had been pushed back, and there were ponies dancing with each other. It felt like a touch of the sun's light had been captured and was alive in this room. Pylite was perched on Railwright's hat rack. She was bobbing her head, letting out musical whistles as she stared at her coloured and distorted reflections in a cluster of balloons. I suspected she'd gotten into the spiked punch. Spike! Crap! I still needed to tell him about Gordon Ditsy Doo. Excuse me, Crane, I said hastily. I'll be right back. Eh, take your time, the yellow pony claimed. I got something that needs doing. As I galloped out the door, I passed Gordonia. She was standing outside, listening to the party. I stopped, skidding a bit in the mud. Are you okay? She nodded. You've got a deal. Five hundred bottle caps and I'll have those two snug away in a dragon's cave by tomorrow evening. She shook her head. Hope you know what you're doing. Those two, they deserve a good life. I entertained a fleeting worry that the party had upset her. It would have been easy to be angry over the flash of panic those ponies had caused. How could I ever have doubted you? A little voice in my head asked. It could have happened to any of us, another answered. The little pony in my head started looking around for the source of the other voices. 
I shook my head to clear it of the strange thoughts. No. The truth was that seeing Dietzy Do and Silverbell together had touched the gruff Griffin commander. She'd stepped outside to think. Thank you. I told her. I started to turn back towards where Watcher was waiting, but halted again. What is your type? I found myself forced to ask. Unattached. Gordon, your Grimfeathers told me bluntly. The answer brought a smile to my face. From a certain perspective, I supposed having a mare friend was like a contract. Gord respected the contract and couldn't respect some pony who didn't. Come on! Silverbell coaxed with big, bright eyes, trying to pull me away from my conversation with Candy. Come and dance with me! I looked at the adorable little filly being so earnest and adorable. How could I say no? I glanced up towards her mother, wondering how she managed. The wall-eyed ghoul was watching her daughter lovingly and gave me a sympathetic smile. Waving goodbye to Candy, who notably had been responsible for bringing the adult punch, I followed the little lavender unicorn out onto the dance floor. The party went late into the night. Exhausted from dancing, I found an empty table and plopped my tail down next to it, floating over a glass of adult punch. It had a peculiar and delicious berry flavour and shed just enough radiation to make my pit butt click. I'd made the mistake of asking about it. Mutt fruit punch tasted better when I didn't know what it was. Zenith joined me. The little one has fallen asleep, she stated. We have put her to bed upstairs in the mayor's room. Better than taking her home in the rain. Plus, it kept her and Ditsy Doo close. The guard griffin is watching her. I wondered if Gilgamesh ever slept. From something I overheard, I knew I wasn't the only pony in the town to ask that. How are you doing? I asked. I am not a mother, Zenith said. I can be a guard, a protector, but not more. I envy them. Maybe you can't be a mother, I said as I recalled how Zenith had stayed to help the zebras of Glyphmark learn the arts of stealth, how she instructed them in making dash. But you can be more than just a guard. You could be a teacher. Zenith didn't know what to say to that, so she drank her mutt fruit punch, and I drank mine. At the table nearby, a familiar trio of younger ponies were spending the party discussing what they should name their group. The olive pony was suggesting the Wasteland Rangers. No, no, the Amber Mare said. That would sound like we were trying to copy the Applejacks Rangers. We need something more original. I know, the olive-coated buck said, raising a hoof. How about the Ouroboros? The what now? The Amber Mare asked, confused. It's a snake eating its own tail. The buck explained. Oh, why would we want to call ourselves that? No, no, the buck clarified. It's an old symbol about renewal, and we're trying to help Requester renew itself, right? You sure about that? The khaki-coated buck asked. No, the amber mare insisted, shaking her head. No snakes of any kind. There's nothing heroic about snakes. I thought she had a point. What kind of group of friends would name themselves after snakes? Leaning over, I offered, If you want something heroic, how about Crusaders? I watched the young hero's eyes light up. I happen to know the name has a pretty illustrious history. Not to mention, they seem to come in threes. Oh, oh yeah! The Amber exclaimed. The Wasteland Crusaders! I was smiling as I turned back to my drink, the conversation at the other table having become more excited as the young heroes plotted how they were going to change Equestria.
I still didn't know their names, although now I sort of did. Calamity joined me at my table, followed by Reggie, both smiling and chatting. Struck by a suspicion, I asked, You two have met before, haven't you? Uh, yep. Calamity told me as a pale blue unicorn mare trotted by, offering cake and muffins. I took a plate of cake and nibbled at it. Yep, muffin flavoured. Calamity here built my guns. Reggie smirked proudly. Uh, yep, met her a couple of years ago. She and her brother were flying protection for caravans between Neopolution and the Republic. Calamity said again, and then assured with a grin. She didn't know she was related to your feathered fantasy, though. I moaned, my ears flattening as my cheeks turning red as Reggie didn't hold back her snickering. I was never going to hear the end of this, was I? You're worse than velvet! I immediately regretted the reference, seeing the pain it brought. It was contagious. I found myself thinking of Velvet Remedy and of Steel Hooves, and how much I wish they were here, able to enjoy this party with us. Without them, the party seemed... Reggie yanked our thoughts away from our friends, no longer with us, and pulling out one of her pistols and setting it on the table. I'd never seen a design quite like it before. Calamity here took 2.223 rifles, cut them down and modified them into a boss pair of pistols in the equestrian wasteland. I gave an appreciative whistle, wondering how they stacked up against little Macintosh. I'm hoping Calamity here can fix me with a few more quick loaders. Reggie added, pulling out a cigarette, only for Calamity to hoofwave her to put it away. I lost a few when the Enclave attacked Shattered Hoof. What happened? I asked, remembering DJ Punthry's mention of the attack on the radio. Lame ass party if you can't even smoke, Reggie grumbled, and then shrugged. They attacked. We fought back. We kicked the metal tails to the moon. What's the no? Seeing we weren't satisfied, she sighed. Fine. Apparently, somebody high up in the Enclave has got some brains, she admitted. Going on to the idea of sending their soldiers on strikes against raiders first. Set the right first impression. Paint the right picture of the wasteland is all about. And those bucks and mares won't hesitate when they tell them to wipe out a town. Not like previous encampments. The attacking Pegasi had said. There are fools here. Families. Calamity was staring despondently at his cake. Makes sense. Yeah, Reggie claimed. And at the rate they're going, they're going to wipe the wasteland clean of raiders by the end of the month. She grimaced. Problem is, nobody told them the Shadowtooth wasn't a raider stronghold anymore. Well, problem for them. The young griffin grinned broadly. They didn't send in any of those warbirds, but they sent in a whole flock of troops. At least three dozen. And we wrecked them. All that fancy armor and firepower and were shit in the sky if you don't have the experience to back it up. I blinked. That was certainly a new take on the threat of the Enclave. But then, the Talons were professional mercenaries, heavily armed and with years of wasteland experience. Reggie pushed herself away from the table. Anyway, scene's getting stale, and I promised Cage I'd bring him some cake, so I'm bailing. The Griffin had walked about two yards away from us when she spun around, moved back, and jabbed a sharp Talon into our table. Oh, and just so you know, wherever you're going next, Cage and I are going with you. What? No arguments. I don't know what you're up to now, but Art of Equestria tends to benefit from your victories. Reggie looked us over, dropping her voice. Mom ain't never going to admit it, but she's damn thankful for what she did at a splendid valley. The goddess, her plans for griffins weren't exactly pretty. No unity for griffins. Once all the ponies were her children... 
Anything that could challenge them was on the chopping block. Half of the reason Red Eyes got so many of our kern working for him. Why some of us like Sturd are so loyal to him? Zenith was drinking punch from a bowl cup which clattered to the floor. Is cause they knew he was plotting against the goddess. Calamity, Zenith and I looked at each other. Reggie continued. Wait, my bro and I see it. You're the best hope this wasteland's got going for it. And you're two soldiers down, including your heavy gunner. And just as things are getting their most dangerous, you need us. This was surprising to say the least, and not how the Talons operated. Or at least, not how Gord did. But we haven't hired you. The thought was immediately followed by, What does your mother think? Y'all might change your minds when you hear where we're heading into. Don't much care, Reggie insisted. We're hiring ourselves to do this, unless you lot think you're going to run us. We will gladly take all the help we can get, Zenith stated, then looked to me. Am I not right, little one? I looked to Calamity again. Maybe, just maybe, we'd be able to survive this plan after all. In the cold drizzle of dawn, I saw the four dozen forms of black carapace armour rise up over the city gates and fly into town. For a moment, I felt panic and rage. The enclave was attacking again. But that notion fled as I noticed the shimmer of caramel-coloured magic surrounded the suits of enclave armour and realised there were no ponies inside. The heavy gate rumbled open and Crane entered New Appaloosa. He was not alone. Walking just behind him was a haggard-looking charcoal unicorn, streaks of scarlet and gold in her white mane. She was wearing Verity's battle dress and yellow medical boxes for saddlebags. Her. Velvet Remedy halted, eyes widening as she saw me. We stared at each other through the haze of rain between us, a muddy river of a street stretching between us. She flinched back as I broke into a gallop. There was pain between us, but the emotional hurting was eclipsed by the hope I felt at seeing her again. She tried to backpedal, but I had her in a hug before she could escape. You're here? She asked meekly. Of course you're here. Goddesses, we've missed you. I told her, not letting her go. Please tell me you're back. I... I came to help, she said hesitantly. I was visiting Steelhooves and I saw the explosion. She got here late last night, Crane told me. Been helping to tend to the Pegasi too wounded to fly back home. Of course she was. Velvet Remedy didn't ask if they were the good guys and who were the bad guys. She stopped to help the first hurting pony she came across. Didn't matter who they were. I hoped her kindness to the enemy left a lasting impression on them. I've been collecting their armour, Crane said, motioning upwards with his horn. Reckon it's a fit gift for Ditsy do. Help repay her what the town owes her. I found myself loving Crane just a little bit right then. She's the one who took him down, after all. Seeing an opportunity to change the subject... Velvet Remedy pointed to Hoofoot Crane. This one's been claiming he's the best telekinetic in the wasteland, she said indignantly. Obviously, he hasn't met you. Crane and I exchanged looks. He chuckled, and I gave him a little respectful bow, which he returned. Or I was wrong, as usual. Crane was my teacher, I explained. Taught me how to unlock my telekinetic potential. Goddesses, that sounded lame. I blamed it on reading too many Swordmares comics. Too much being one. Zenith whispered, where the hell did she come from, into my ear. You must say, and now this student has become the master. 
I blinked, processing Zenith's stealth appearance. Wait, why? It is expected, she whispered earnestly. I shook my mane. By who? The zebra didn't seem to have an answer. Crane walked on, floating the several dozen suits of scavenged armour towards absolutely everything. Zenith stepped back, seeming to fade into the weather. Silverbell was right. The zebra was kind of creepy. Velvet Remedy and I were alone in the rain. Velvet! Little Pip. No, you go first. Go ahead. We stopped trying to talk. The silence stretched awkwardly, scored by the metallic hiss of rain against railway cars. Little Pip, the things I said... Velvet began again. They were so horrible. I took a deep breath. Her words still felt fresh. The pain cut deep, but... You weren't wrong, I told her. And you tried to protect me. You were hurting so much, you still warned me away. Tried to get me to go, I said, realising it was true. It's my fault. I wouldn't leave. A man who keeps poking a hornet's nest deserves to get stung. I wondered briefly if hornets still existed in Equestria. I'd only ever seen them in books. Velvet Remedy shook her head, her striped mane flapping wetly. No, they were cruel and hypocritical. She shrugged off her medical boxes. The yellow boxes with the pink butterflies sank into the brown water. I'm not worthy to follow Fluttershy, or to be your friend. I saw she was trembling. Fatigue and cold were certainly part of it. She must have galloped all the way from Fetlock, and it was not a short journey. I put a hoof under her chin, looking into her eyes. It wasn't just the rain. She was crying. But I want to, she continued. I let the wasteland poison me. I know that, and I was right. Most ponies don't deserve to be helped, but that's not the reason to do it. I understood. I knew what it was like to have all your faith in the goodness of ponies shaken. I felt it back in the pit. All those slaves I was trying to save cheering for my death. But unlike Velvet, that had never been the primary foundation of my urge to help. I know it's up to me. I want to be stronger than the wasteland, not let it poison me any more. She faltered, but I'm not sure how. Abage was right. The equestrian wasteland is hard on heroes. No, it's brutal to them. It beats them down. It tears them apart. Eventually, every hero falls. Inevitably, every hero fails. The true mark of a hero is not that they never fail, never fall down. No, you know a true hero by what they do after they fall. By the way they pick themselves back up again, shake themselves off, and throw themselves back into that good fight. Velvet, Fluttershy would be proud of you. I started. I wasn't sure if I was saying the right thing, but it came from my heart. That had to count for something, right? She would want you by her side. It doesn't matter if you've stumbled. We've all done things you regret. You know I have. No pony is perfect. No pony is strong all the time. Do you think that Applejack never lied? Or that Rarity was never greedy? Or that Pinkie Pie was never sad? Even Fluttershy had her gardens of cantaloupes. I gave her a tender and hopefully uplifting smile. What matters is that you don't let your failures stop you. Velvet Remedy stared at me a long time, tears streaming down her eyes. There seemed to be a battle raging inside her. Thank you. I don't deserve friends like you.
she said finally, pulling her head away. She stared at the muddy water concealing her hooves. After a pregnant pause, she let out a trembling whinny. It's my fault Steelhooves is dead. What? She looked up. I'm sorry. I... When you didn't come back, Steelhooves wanted to move. But I knew that clearing was where you would expect us to be. The others thought you were dead. But I refused to believe it. Her voice was slowly rising, touching on hysteria. I insisted that we stay close, believing that you did survive the Balefire bomb, and you were fighting to get to us, and we had to be there for you when you finally made it. Trembling, she wailed. I'm the reason it was so easy for the Hellhounds to find us. I made us keep camping so close to the same spot every day. Velvet Remedy broke down, sobbing. I wrapped my hooves around her, holding her tight understanding her pain, forgiving it, and thanking her for what she had done and because of why she had done it. Please tell me you'll come with us again, I whispered finally. We love you and we need you. Being without you is like walking with an open wound. I hugged her tightly. We miss you so much. I... Velvet began. She pushed back, breaking out of the hug, stood staring at me, only falling raindrops between us. Little Pip. A rust and orange streak ploughed into Velvet Remedy, knocking her out of sight as she was driven into the mud with Calamity on top of her. Velvet! Calamity cheered, nuzzling the exceptionally muddy mare. It's good to see you too, she said weakly. Calamity stepped back, looking at his mud-covered love. Oops, he said, blushing. Let me help you. Before Velvet or I could say anything, Calamity had flown across the street grabbing a rain bar from in front of Railwright Station. Calamity dumped the barrel over Velvet Remedy. Velvet sighed. Well, at least I was already wet. And she wasn't muddy anymore. It's good to have you back, Calamity told her, never questioning that she was. Velvet Remedy splashed a hoof timidly. If, if you'll have me. I was being a silly pony, Calamity chided. Velvet looked up to him. I want to be back. I want to help. Her voice was shy of pleading. Calamity lowered his muzzle into the muddy water and pulled out her medical boxes, planting them back over her. I watched as she thanked him, and he teasingly threatened to kiss her with his muddy muzzle. It is like things are finally going right again, is it not? Zenith asked, having ninjaed up right beside me. I nodded. The rain was beginning to stop. Suddenly, looking at Velvet Remedy and Calamity... I knew. The very last pieces fell into place. Kindness and loyalty. Was there ever any doubt? You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Black thunderclouds had shifted to a lighter grey, but it was still heavy with rain as the sky bandit approached the shattered ruins of Manhattan. Calamity was pulling the passenger wagon. Our two Griffin escorts flanked us. Are you considering mounting a magical energy turret on top of that thing? Reggie called up to Calamity, eyeing the Sky Bandit's rack where steel hooves had stood in past battles. Calamity wasn't quick to answer. Like me, I think he felt that mounting a weapon would be too much like we were replacing steel hooves. It was a silly and impractical response, the sort that Calamity had always dismissed in the past, being the first to scavenge stables and the corpses of steel rangers. But this was different. This was steel hooves. Yup, he finally said. I think Steel Hooves wanted that way. Want us to protect ourselves. He kept flying straight. Just ain't had the time. Cage flew in close to the other side, talking to Velvet Remedy. So, you follow the pony while the medical supply boxes are laid to look like? Yes, Velvet Remedy stated, beginning to get her hooves back under her. Her name is Fluttershy, and she was the best pony. Cage considered that. But you said she was the one who created the mega spells. Velvet Remedy had been surprisingly forthcoming with that bit of information. A reaction, I suspected, to our attempts to keep it a secret. Which caused the apocalypse, Cage added. So you're a follower of the apocalypse? Velvet Remedy needed only a heartbeat to answer. If that is the name ponies want to use for anyone who aspires to the kindness of Fluttershy, then I will own that title without reservation. Suddenly, Calamity dipped low, flying just above the rubble of the city streets. Our griffin shadows took a moment to change direction, swooping in towards us as Calamity brought the Sky Bandit to a rapid halt, pulling us into the cover of a hollowed-out radio price store. What's wrong? I asked, leaping out of the passenger wagon as Calamity kicked the quick release on his harness. Did you not see it? Zenith asked, her exotic voice seeming incredulous. I didn't have to wait long to know what she meant. About ten minutes later, as we crouched in the cover of the broken sails bench, the pale grey light of the clouds was blotted out by the massive form of a black, anvil-shaped enclave mobile fortress. Four great thunderclouds spanned out from it, two on each side. The ruined Manhattan street was rendered into stark black and white as massive bolts of lightning arced between them. Attached to its storm cloud was a raptor. On each raptor, one of the clouds holding it aloft had merged into one of the flying fortress's boiling thunderclouds. The undercarriage of the massive ship bristled with weapon turrets. I could make out several large doors capable of dropping war chariots, or bombers, or troops by the scores. What the hell? Couldn't we just once get a break? We got a sonic rad boom, the little pony in my head reminded me. What more do you want? Even Pilate let out a low whistle. That's the glorious dawn. Calamity said in soft awe as the huge ship passed over the Manhattan ruins. Noticing that we were all staring at him, Calamity coughed. Thunderhead class mobile siege platform. 
he explained. You said the Enclave only had four of those, I pointed out, hoping I didn't sound accusatory. A yup, and two of them are permanently assigned. One's at Navarro, and the other's at the home of the High Council. I did the math. Both Calamity and Pride had referred to an Enclave regiment as four raptors and accompanying troops, the amount that could be carried and deployed by a Thunderhead. A full regiment had descended on Maripony just before the bomb went off, bringing a member of the High Council with them. Probably the regiment attached to the High Council's own personal Thunderhead. Hundreds of ponies, Commander Winter had said. I felt a little sick. If they're committing Thunderheads to Operation Cauteraz, that means they're getting ready for the big offensive, Calamity warned. They've lost too much, too quickly. They need big victories fast or the whole invasion falls apart, and a whole lot of Enclave leaders will be losing their positions in the next election. They can't play around with little targets anymore. That explains why they haven't amassed another assault on New Appaloosa, Cage reckoned. Or Shadowed Oof. Where do you think they are headed? Zenith asked as the shadow finally passed allowing daylight, such as it was, back into the streets. By the vector, I'd say they're aiming for Philadelphia, Reggie suggested. Assuming they don't plan to park that thing over Tempony Tower. Fuck, damn it, damn it, damn it. Calamity, I blurted anxiously. Remember when I told you we could all make this mean something? Make all the losses count? Make this the start of something better? Calamity stared at me with an expression that told me he was holding me to that promise. The others just stared. Well, I've got a plan. I know how to do it. I began. The Griffins looked anxious and doubtful. Zenith looked reserved, and Velvet Remedy's face bore an expression of concern. But Calamity's eyes lit up with hope, a smile on his face. Then the smile faltered as he tentatively asked, What about my plan? Your plan comes first, I reassured him. My friend looked immediately relieved. But this new offensive throws a major wrench in mine. I need to know what the Enclave's timetable is. Calamity nodded. He clopped his hoof against his forehead, thinking, Okay, we haven't seen the Thunderheads before, so until now they must be using someplace groundside as a communication centre, someplace to correlate data from all the scattered force and relay commands. I clopped my forehooves together. Brilliant! We'll hit the communication centre and get a hold of their timeline. Just what I was thinking. Calamity pondered the matter a moment longer. I have to be someplace pretty high up. I reckon that's where they were using Tampony Tower before they got kicked out. And they'd have a fallback position. I remembered how far Blackwing's little broadcaster had been able to reach. The Talons had been trapped in the best possible place for broadcasting. Horseshoe Tower! I was sure of it. You have a plan. Velvet leaned out of the front window of the Sky Bandit, talking to Calamity. You. Calamity nickered as he guided the Sky Bandit in for a landing on the rooftop of Tempony Tower. I let out a heavy sigh as his hooves touched down. I keep coming back, I muttered to myself, but Amarge is never here. Don't just say it like that. Calamity shot back at Velvet as he checked his landing and detached his from the passenger wagon. You make it sound like doom on a stick. And your plan is why we're here? Velvet inquired. Yup, I need your friend Lifebloom's help, Calamity admitted freely. I could see Velvet Remedy cringe as she jumped to the obvious and sadly correct conclusion. You're doing something with your memories, aren't you? Calamity didn't even look sheepish as he nodded. Hell, he even looked proud of the idea. Yup. You're not going to forget me, 
are you? That struck him. Calamity stumbled a bit. Oh, hell no, he insisted. Lil Pip says that Laugh Bloom can take memories without, you know, taking them away. He looked at me worriedly. That's right, ain't it, Lil Pip? Yes, Life Bloom can record memories as well as remove them. Velvet Remedy looked slightly relieved, but not much. And collecting your memories is going to help us defeat the fastest, deadliest hunters the Enclave has. How? Here it comes. The first horseshoe. No, no, no. Calamity puffed up, flapping his wings. We ain't going to defeat the Wanderbolts. We're going to save them. The mottled brown gentle stallion who met us was not either of the unicorns I'd been hoping to see. But he was familiar. He'd been the one to inform me of the legal details surrounding Monterey Jack's execution. And he was a member of the Twilight Society. A sonic rainboom! He was saying as he floated his glasses in front of him, polishing them with a pocket cloth. Or, more precisely, a toxic rainboom. I believe that is what Resistance Radio was calling it, is it not? Resistance Radio? Oh. He raised an eyebrow as he slipped his glasses back onto his muzzle. Yes, that is what the local gentry is taken to calling DJ Poon3's little broadcast interruptions. Resistance Radio. I liked it. Go on, Marge. So the Twilight Society will help us? I asked, not for the first time. Indeed, the gentle stallion lawyer asserted. You and your motley band have more than proven both your intentions and capacity for success. We would be honoured to lend our hooves to the fight. Wistfully, he added, a sonic rainboom in my lifetime. Calamity and I exchanged looks. Well, for now, what we need is laugh bloom. His experience of memory magic, to be precise-like. The mottled brown unicorn nodded, not even looking at Calamity. Absolutely. I'll send for him right away. In the meantime, your usual suite is ready. And? I added. There's something else I need to discuss with you at your earliest convenience. A legal matter? He turned, looking at me over the rim of his spectacles. Indeed? His earliest convenience turned out to be in less than an hour. I was a bit surprised at the Twilight Society's sudden eagerness to lend their aid. I was probably being paranoid, but when things started working out in our favour, it tended to make me nervous. Meanwhile, we gathered in the quarters provided and waited for life bloom. Swanky! Reggie whistled, looking over the fine sheets and marble floor tiles. She poked a talon at one of the posh pillows. Cage moved to check the window, his eyes darting about like he was looking for snipers. No kidding! If we had access to a place like this, I'd run it real hard to go back into the wasteland and start mixing it up. He drew the curtains closed and nodded to his sister who had taken up a strategic spot near the door. Ah, I don't think we're going to get attacked here, Calamity suggested. Our griffin guards looked at each other as if Calamity was adorably naive. Sparkling water? Velvet Remedy offered to them, pulling from the complimentary stores in the bathroom. I winced, beginning to feel a little self-conscious. Velvet floated a chalice to each of them, then sipped from one of her own. Well, hardly sparkling, she said, looking at it critically, but it will do. This was Tempony Tower. When Velvet was here, she wanted to be pampered. If Calamity's going to be a while having his brain molested, would you like to join me for a trip to the spa, little Pip? Yeah, you ponies have it hard, Cage mocked, rolling his eyes. I pondered that as I stripped out of my armour. 
heading for the bath. After all the bad, a trip to the spa would be heaven. But right now, I just wanted to feel clean again. I'd forgotten what it felt like. As I dropped my reinforced barding to the floor, Velvet Gravity waved her horn at it, cleaning off the blood and the grime. Maybe if we have time, but I wanted to make use of that by sneaking into Horseshoe Tower. I'd been right about the Enclave's choice. We'd spotted the Enclave antenna array on the roof. The raptor circling overhead was kind of obvious too. I looked over my companions, new and familiar. A stealth mission. In and out. Yeah, cause your stealth missions have a history of working out like that. Ignoring him, I continued. I'll take Zenith and one of the Griffins to fly us there, and... I admitted. To use cloud systems. I'll go, Cage offered. All this fancy makes my feathers itch. Velvet trotted up to Calamity. So this plan... Calamity smiled, gazing into her eyes. You want to turn the Wonderbolts? Help them see they're on the wrong side? Give them a chance to become heroes? Ayup, he said, his muzzle inches from hers. You know, part of me says that's awesome. She gave him a simpering look, leaning so close they had to be feeling each other's breathing. You have never been sexier. That's it! I jumped to my hooves, floating my armour to me. Time to go and do the thing in the place. I was out of the door, my armour floating behind me. Cage and Zenith trailing my gallop before they started kissing. I stepped up to the ragged edge where sometime in the last 200 years the ceiling two floors above had given away, crashing down into the floor beneath, which then collapsed, smashing through the floor beneath it. Rings of half-rooms honeycombed from the internal abscess. Motes of dust floated lazily in the gaping, empty space. It was just as I remembered it. As I looked down into the pit of rubble, the little pony in my head reminded me that somewhere down there was Pinkie Pie's last party, lost forever in an orb. Getting this far had been... uh... damn. Why is my mind searching for a metaphor for easy that involved muffins? Ditsy-doo was rubbing off on me. Not in an icky, flesh-rotting way. After a moment of internal debate, I just went with easy. Zenith had her zebra stealth cloak, and I'd been using my MG stealth puck too. Cage was admittedly not as stealthy, but the two of us had been scouting ahead. When things were clear, Zenith would toss back the hood of her cloak to let him know that it was safe to move forward. Despite being an adolescent, Cage never appeared bored. He had the sort of level head to not be looking for a fight. Besides his razor-sharp claws, the griffin was armed with hellhound claw knives and wing blades. The first griffin I'd seen, the one who had helped attack the train, had been armed with those. I'd seen them slice the head off a pony, but I worried that they might be ineffective against pegasi and magically powered armour. Multicoloured lights sprayed across the void, striking parts of the broken ceiling as well as a desk that had been hanging precariously over the drop. The desk melted into goo as it dripped down into the rubble below. Okay, that was new. Diving for cover, I kicked up my eyes forward sparkle. We were almost in the same spot that the three alicorns had stood the last time I was here, and across from us, almost in the same place I had been, an enclave trooper was firing at us with a multi-gem heavy infantry battle saddle. I pulled out little Macintosh, locking onto the attacking pony with sats, but I had to dive away as the spray of his weapon melted my cover. Two more I launched themselves across the gap from another floor, the trooper was laying suppressive fire while they flanked us. The first enclave guard came up behind us through an office to our right. 
Cage moved to block his path, sweeping up the armoured pony with his wing blades. The attack proved both my fears valid and unnecessary. The wing blades had sparked harmlessly off the Pegasus's armour just before Cage sent his hellhound claw knives plunging through the pony's throat. Even as the first guard fell, several beams of light struck Cage in the back. His talon armour took the brunt of it, but one shot speared his right wing. The young griffin collapsed with a grunt, his eyes closed tight against tears. The second guard had landed on the floor above us. I heard the clank, clank, clank as she dropped grenades down a fissure in our ceiling. I had plenty of experience dealing with grenades. Back up they went. Maybe not my brightest idea. I realised as the explosion not only killed the Pegasus above us, but sent the ceiling crashing down on our heads. My magic imploded as the room above fell on me. Something heavy and searingly hot shoved me to the floor. Pain sprouted from my hind legs. I was pinned underneath jagged floorboards and the melted remains of a filing cabinet. Cage had taken cover in the doorway, and I'd lost track of Zenith. Fortunately, I was still invisible as the trooper across from us started filling our room with magical energy. The debris was a blade of cover at best. I whipped my head around, desperately looking for where little Macintosh had fallen. The spray of rainbow light stopped as the trooper reloaded. My revolver dropped to the floor next to me, a gift from an invisible zebra. I magically snatched it up and started locking my targeting spell onto the Pegasus again. Section 12, clear. The Pegasus barked through my ear bloom. Cauterizing in ten minutes. With the Thunderheads in play, this place had become redundant. The Enclave had already begun clearing out when we arrived. The Raptor above here hadn't been for protection. We had seven minutes before the Raptor opened fire, eradicating Horseshoe Tower. Section 13, clear. Another voice replied. My stealth buck was drained, but we were almost at the end. The last room before the roof was a two-level executive bar and lounge. That was where they had their equipment set up. The good news was that our infiltration had sped up their evacuation. They were no longer trying to pull out all their equipment, just their personnel. They would let the Raptor's massive guns take care of the rest. Section 14 clear. The first voice responded. Cauterizing in nine minutes. The bad news was that the room would be a killing zone. All the soldiers left in the building were either on the roof or inside that lounge. I made sure little Macintosh was loaded with armour-piercing bullets. Calamity had bought up all the ammo for little Macintosh that Ditsy Doo had. But already, I was almost out of armour-piercing rounds again. Part of me hated the Enclave for using magical energy weapons. Their ammo crates never had anything I could use. I nodded to my companions. Here we go! I telekinetically threw the doors open, my targeting spell locking to each soldier as I saw them. An Enclave mainframe dominated the room. Cables snaked off of it, crawling into the backsides of cloud interface terminals that sat glowing on surrounding cocktail tables. The room was cold. A row of windows lined the right wall opposite the bar on the left. A couple were still intact, but most had been boarded up. Poorly. Enclave infantry were standing guard, both on this floor and along the balcony above. Grey-clad officers and technician ponies in yellow dresses darted about, rarely landing. Most were headed for the stairs. Two Enclave soldiers stood ready just inside the door. They were the first to react. I was faster. The first went down. The third shot killed the other door guard, the fourth bullet burying itself into a corpse. Two shots to the head of each opponent. Two in case one missed or just failed to kill. Two shots and move on to the next, 
leave Onipony still standing for Cage and Zenith. One of the Enclave infantry on the balcony fired a missile at us. I dove for cover behind the bar. Cage flopped over the bar next to me, half jumping and half repelled by the explosion. Zenith, goopy hooved, charged across the ceiling. The explosion had blown her hood back, and she was bleeding from small shrapnel wounds. Several Enclave soldiers opened fire, blasting apart the ceiling with a prismatic light show. Ancient crystal chandeliers came crashing to the floor with an almost melodic tinkling. Zenith managed to dodge them all, leaping from the ceiling to the balcony railing. Her forehooves planted on the railing as she spun, driving bucking hooves into the throat of the infantry pony as he reloaded and tried to aim. I could hear his armour crush into his windpipe. The infantry pegasus pulled the trigger as he collapsed, the missile firing wild. Striking the fingers between the finger of a mare in a sultry position which hung over the far side of the lounge. The explosion blew out what was left of the windows. A damp early evening wind blew in from outside, clearing the smoke. Reload. My targeting spell dropped only for me to bring it back immediately, squeezing just a little more out of it. Another person with a multi-gem weapon sent a rainbow of light spraying over the bar and tearing into the liquor bottles racked behind us. Most of the bottles were empty. The racks behind it hissed and exploded as the magical light passed through several still full ones, boiling the liquid inside. I let out a scream as I was bathed in alcoholic steam. Cage yelled, leaping the bar and trying to charge the attacker before he could reload, his injured wing keeping him from flying. I tried to give him cover, targeting another infantry pegasus as he was aiming for Cage with the twin magical energy rifles of his armour. One of those shots missed, the other struck home, but failed to penetrate enough to kill the enemy. The Enclave soldier Cage was charging was just a little too fast. She had finished reloading and opened fire point-blank into the griffin's chest. It didn't save her. Cage's blade slashed deeply through her chest, cutting her heart, even as his talon armor dissolved. The griffin fell back, smoke rising from a gaping wound in his breast. I stared in horror as the light went out of his eyes. No, damn it, no! With a loud crack... A black-armoured body toppled over the balcony, bucked through the railing by Zenith. I looked up for her, but she was invisible again. God rising in eight minutes! The Pegasus I had wounded had taken refuge behind the mainframe. I could see his shadow as he downed a healing potion. At the same time, another soldier flew across the room, landing behind one of the columns that supported the balcony along the near wall. A third knocked over a table and hid behind it, shoving it forward through the room, trying to get closer to me. She yelped as the table caught on one of the cables and flipped, exposing her. The battle raged on. The last Pegasus, a grey stallion with a flowing black mane and tail, held up a hoof in surrender. He was neither a technician nor a soldier. He wore a light grey officer's uniform that went smartly with his coat. The only officer to stay behind making sure the other officers and the technician ponies got out safely while the Enclave's troops tried to kill us. Did kill one of us, I thought heavily. I'd led God's son to his death. I didn't know how I was going to break the news to his sister. I'd never be able to face Gordnir again. But right now I didn't blame myself. I blamed the Enclave. Give me one reason not to shoot you, I growled. Make it good, because I really want to. Where I see it, the Pegasus said, smiling annoyingly. Y'all can kill me, or y'all can win. Evac complete, moving off. The voice on my ear bloom claimed. 
cauterizing in five minutes. What do you mean? I asked, levelling little Macintosh at the Enclave officer's face. I floated both of Cage's bleds near his neck. I had my targeting spell locked on for good measure. Sir, we've still got one officer inside. Another Pegasus said over the military channel. Cauterizing in five minutes, was the cold response. Well, I reckon y'all didn't come all this way just because you like being shot at. The officer reasoned. I'm guessing what you came for is in that mainframe. But now, you only got about four minutes left to get details out of this building, and you're down the only person you could have had to access it. Fuck! Celestia's fiery hemorrhoids have sold the flare in death! Cage died for nothing! So, I'll make you a deal, the officer said. You'll let me go, and I'll download whatever you need into that pib what the fuck you got there. And why would you betray the Enclave? Zenith asked. Why would you help us? Well, two reasons, the Pegasus said, still smiling but with an earnest tone in his voice. One, cause you folk are Calamity's friends, and I love my little brother, and I ain't happy to see his name on the kill list. Two, cause I reckon without any flowers with you, chances are three minutes won't be enough for you to get out anyway. I would have stopped to think about that, to process what he said, but the voice of my ear bloom announced, Gauterizing in four minutes. Okay! I agreed, motioning for the Pegasus to get to work. I chose to believe him, not because of what he said about Calamity, but because he hadn't lied about how much time we had. You're Windshear, right? I asked as the stallion moved in the nearest terminal. Calamity had said his oldest brother was a master of communications technologies. You were the chief communications officer here? I guessed. A yup to both, he said as he worked. I caught the password. Restricted. Now, what exactly do I want? Because I could give you everything, but that would take longer than you got. I need to know what the Enclave is doing next, and when. I answered, the gears in my head spinning. What's the chance that two of Calamity's brothers will be down here? I pondered as he started the download. Cauterizing in three minutes. We were cutting it insanely close. I'd say 100%, Winshire said with a smile, backing away from the terminal. They put Adam Leaf in charge of operating Cauteraz, and he made sure both his older brothers were part of the show. The Grey Pegasus chuckled. Hell, that was the only way Proud was ever going to see anything outside of Navarro. I groaned, hanging my head in pain. One of Calamity's brothers was commanding this entire damn massacre. I'll be going now, Winshire said. But you pass my love on to Calamity, won't you? Your love? Zenith asked. Did you not all treat him horribly? Winshire shrugged. We were kids. Zenith stomped. Not an excuse. Look, Pratt did it because he was a bastard. And worse, an incompetent bastard. Unlike Calamity, he was nothing but a disappointment to Dad. He did it because Autumn Leaf did it, and he hoped Copy and Autumn Leaf would get him some respect from us. When she added, It didn't. The voice in my ear bloom spoke again. Cauterizing in two minutes. As for Autumn Leaf and Marcel, we remember what Dad was like before Mum died. He said only half apologetically. He was better before that. Not always the drill sergeant. We'd lost our mom. We'd lost the best part of our dad. We were hurting, and Calamity was there. Winshire shrugged again, then flew off towards one of the open windows. The download completed. I turned to Zenith, wrapping her first with my magic, and then myself. I galloped for the window. Cauterizing in one minute. 
My ear bloom informed me as I leapt out the shattered window and into the cold open air. The raptor had backed off far enough that I doubted they could see us. The barrels of the huge magical energy cannons were glowing like miniature suns as they charged up to fire. The sky split, the air tearing apart as multiple beams of orange-white plasma tore into Horseshoe Tower. Every remaining window exploded outward, shards of glass followed by gouts of flame. I turned away from the sight, completely focusing on moving us away from the doomed skyscraper. Sweat was already pouring down my forehead. I was going to see just how far I could fly after all. When we arrived back at Temponi Tower, it was by the way of the Celestial Line, and Zenith was carrying me on her back. I was feeling rather proud of myself. I'd gotten us a little over a mile before strain and exhaustion forced me to put us down on one of the four-star stations. Proud and so very, very tired. I was ready to take Velvet Remedy up on that trip to the spa now, only it was very late. The spa would be closed, and I had to face Regina Grimfeathers. I poured over the data Winchia had given us. The stallion had been true to his word. We got what I had asked for, and no more. The Enclave was focusing now on what it considered the two biggest threats. First and foremost was Red Eye. They tracked him to the cathedral. They had a regiment patrolling the borders of the Everfree Forest, trying to make sure he didn't escape. In two days' time, the Overcast, Colonel Autumn Leaf's command Thunderhead, was going to move in with a second full regiment and wipe the cathedral off the face of Equestria. The Glorious Dawn was being dispatched to rendezvous with the bulk of the Enclave's forces, amassing for an attack on Philadelphia. And by attack, they meant cleansing. Slavers, slaves, rangers, scavengers. They were going to kill them all, and reduce the factories that Radeye had already rebuilt into rubble for good measure. And they could. I'd just seen them turn Horseshoe Tower into a mound of rubble and slag. I couldn't let that happen. My blood ran cold as I saw the Enclave's second target. Homage. Somehow, my mare friend had rated as the second biggest threat to the Enclave. Attached to that assessment was a video file. I was trembling as I pulled it open. I didn't know if it was from fear or rage. The video was from the security camera of a raptor. I watched as Homage brought down the Shattered Hoof Ridge Tower. The explosion from the Star Blaster had disintegrated everything it touched. It had eaten the tower's base. They didn't know she could only do that once. They only knew that she did it. And that made her even more terrifying than Ditsy do almost as much as Red Eye and all his armies. I realised that, strangely, I wasn't frightened or mad anymore. I was proud. Proud of my wonderful, dangerous homage. And they had no idea what to do about it. Sending more forces after her risked, in their minds, further retaliation. And that could mean the destruction of another tower. Maybe more. So instead, they were sitting on their hooves. Well, not exactly. They had given lethal sanction to one group they thought could actually hunt down and kill Amage without her being able to strike back. The Wonderbolts. Calamity had been right. The Wonderbolts had been drawn into meetings, but those were due to end in about six hours. After that, our hunters had been given 32 hours to complete their current assignment. Then, they were ordered to focus their efforts on murdering my mare friend. 32 hours. I prayed they would do what I so desperately wanted to. Sleep. After over 20 hours of meetings, what pony wouldn't want to catch some sleep? Making sure they were fresh and revived before they went hunting other ponies down and killing them. 
Zenith nudged open the door to our suite and deposited me on the floor with an undignified thump. I yelped as I landed on my scalded back. Calamity trotted over, looking down at me. How'd it go? I was surprised that he was still in the room. Or was it back in the room? Lifebloom walked up next to him as Velvet gave the gasp we were all expecting and dashed to tend to our wounds, starting with the bloody zebra. Winchia senses love, I answered. I winced as a female voice called out from the corner. Where's Cage? Regina Grimfeather stared down at her brother's knives, then slid them carefully into her belt. Thank you for bringing these back. Regina, I'm so sorry. There is no body, Zenith informed her. The Enclave... Shut it about the bloody Enclave! The Griffin roared. The room was shocked quiet. Calamity finally broke the silence. What now? Regina Grimfeather scowled at him. What do you mean, what now? She answered gruffly. The job ain't over yet, is it? You're stink? Velvet gaped. Grimfeathers don't turn tail when it gets nasty. She spat. The young griffin laid down. Her eyes were moist, but she had yet to shed a tear. Almost under her breath, she added, And I sure as hell ain't going back to Galgord that I quit the job that killed Cage. Velvet floated a healing potion to me as she magically stripped me of my armour and began inspecting me for wounds. It was as if she'd never left. So, Reggie said finally, what now? Lifebloom spoke up. Now, I gather together what I need for a trip. Say what now? The unicorn with the red and scarlet mane looked at us. Storing a copy of so many of Calamity's memories was actually the easy part. But the other request... He turned to Calamity. I'm sorry, but the Twilight Society simply doesn't have five recollectors to give you. I've been afraid of that. Calamity's plan was to divide up the Wonderbolts, incapacitate them through Zenith's paralysing hoof and Velvet's anaesthetic magic, then slap recollectors on them, feeding them his memories. Memories of how and why he had left the Enclave. Memories of the good ponies down here, of his time with me, and the good things we had done, and to trust in the better nature of ponies. The problem was, it takes as long to experience the memories in a black opal as it took for the person to live them and Calamity wanted to feed several days' worth of memories into the Wonderbolts. Keeping them safe and hydrated was a big enough concern, but if we didn't have enough recollectors to trap them all at the same time... Fortunately, I have a better way, Lifebloom claimed. There's a memory spell, one created by Twilight Sparkle herself, which will allow me to cram all those memories into their heads in minutes. It won't be pleasant, the white unicorn shook his head, but will it work? Uh, no offence. But have you ever been outside a ten-pony tower before? Calamity asked. It's rough out there. Lifebloom tossed his mane. Yes, I'm a little familiar with the outdoors. There was a much bigger commitment for the Twilight Society than just some recollectors. Are you sure? The last person who went on a mission with me didn't come back. Regina shot a dark glower at no pony in particular. You called on us to help, and you were right. Lifebloom gazed at me. This is us helping. Reggie stood up. Okay, then. What are we waiting for? Well, Velvet Remedy said softly, some of us need to sleep. She did her best not to gaze my way. I hadn't moved from where Zenith had dropped me. 
Not long, though, I insisted, still not moving. Floor was good. Just give me a pillow. We need to be moving before the Wonderbolts are. Reggie looked at the ponies and Zebra around her. Pylite gave a tired little hoot, even though she had spent most of the trip napping against Velvet Remedy's flank. Fine, she groused. My eyelids were getting heavy, but I forced them to stay open. There was one more horseshoe hanging above us, waiting to drop. So, Lifebloom asked, where are we headed? We still need to find a place where the Wonderbolts won't be able to totally own us with their aerial superiority, Reggie pointed out. Velvet flicked back her styled mane. She'd obviously been to the spa while I was out. She looked perfect. Well, Manhattan has to have more stables than just number 29. Do you know of any that are vacant and just lying around? No stables, Calamity interjected. Those things are death traps, in case y'all haven't noticed. And even if the stable itself don't try to kill us, all the Wanderbalt would have to do is close the door and collapse the tunnel. Or do what Lil Pip did with Stable 24 and divert a river into it. Velvet Remedy cringed, looking at me in surprise. They don't even need a river, Reggie added. These are Pegasi. They're really good at making it rain. She shook her head, looking at my Pegasus friend. Best to rule out underground entirely. And here it drops, I thought. So we need some place that the Wonderbolts can't use their aerial skills against us. Lifebloom said slowly, and where we can split them up, but that's outside. Yup, Calamity said with conviction, and I got the perfect place. Wee! Look at it fall. The Everfree Forest. The first golden rays of dawn were pouring across the horizon as the Sky Bandit leveled out flying towards hope. Remind me why you let Calamity make the plans? Zenith said. She'd taken off her zebra stealth cloak and given it to Lifebloom. The buck would definitely have more need of it. And we couldn't risk the Wanderbolts taking out the one pony who could cast the memory spell. Or risk the forest taking him out. Or the fire. Or any of Red-Eye's troops who were controlling the fires. Or the Enclave patrols. The consensus was that we were indeed all going to die. But at least it would be an exciting death. Well, I'm proud of him. If we are going into the Everfree Forest, Zenith said, pulling an ancient and tattered book from her saddlebags, then there is something I must tell you. I looked at the book. The cover was very old leather, warped and cracked. On the front was a large zebra glyph and several smaller ones beneath. The last time I'd seen glyphs like that, I was trying to read the black book. Where did you get this? I asked both cautious and curious. From my... from Zephyr, a zebra friend said. Once, this belonged to my grandparents. They rescued it from the hut of Zikora, deep in the Everfree Forest. Zenith opened the book, pointing at the strange glyphs. You wonder what has caused the Everfree Forest to grow so strange and dangerous, do you not? I nodded, remembering Calamity's assertion. The Everfree Forest had never been hit, and there was no radiation, no taint which is why Red Eye sought to turn it into farmland. Through this book, I have come to learn the reason, Zenith said cryptically, and it is not a new one, but a very old one. And you're just telling us this now? I received this book while you were playing in the Canterlot ruins, and it took me some time to read it. Time, I suspected, that babysitting Silverbell had given her, and it was not easy to read. 
there were things I did not wish to understand. We all listened intently. Even Calamity's ears were swiveled so he could catch the conversation as best he could. Something flashed in the distance ahead. On the horizon was the Everfree Forest, still green and still pouring smoke. I believe we may have been wrong about Princess Luna and Nightmare Moon, Zenith admitted, looking down at the book. The zebra was unwilling to meet the gaze of any of the ponies around her. They were not one and the same. Velvet cocked her head quizzically. Pilot allowed a questioning coup. Before the war, long before the wasteland, over a thousand years ago, a star fell to our world, and it fell in the Everfree Forest, close to where the princesses lived. I knew this story. It had been told to me by Midnight Shower. The star's influence warped and twisted everything around it, Zenith claimed. According to Zakora's writings, even a little exposure was enough to help Luna's inner darkness take hold and manifest. Only the power of the element of harmony were able to nullify what it had done to her. The zebra finally looked up. Forgive me for speaking what may seem ill of your goddess, but Celestia was never as strong as her sister. When things hurt too much, she would run away. I glared at Zenith. This had better be going somewhere. I wasn't happy with the sudden and unflattering analysis of the goddess Celestia. She stepped down from her throne in the middle of a war, Zenith reminded us and this was not the first time Celestia abandoned something. When forced to banish her little sister to the moon, she fled their castle, leaving the home behind to rot in the Everfree Forest. Okay, I could see that, and who could blame her? The memories that castle must have held would have been too painful for any pony. And she left the elements of harmony behind in the castle, Zenith said, just lying there. Zenith stared down at the book, seeming to read from the glyphs. The elements of harmony, the most powerful of all known magics, were left upon their pedestal, save one which was hidden, waiting for the spark to reveal it. And in the centuries that passed, the castle crumbled and fell. Moss and vines grew up around the pedestal of the elements, and they were forgotten, faded into legends and old mare's tales. What a tarnation does all this have to do with every forest being all crazy? Calamity called back impatiently. Place didn't go so bad until the war. Zenith shook her head. No, winged one. It was getting bad before then. The badness just took time to grow. And what caused this badness to grow? Velvet Remedy asked. What caused it to get so much worse, if not the war? It sounded like she was buying into this. To me, it was all insane zebra logic. From reading this book, Zenith said, I have come to believe the infection of the stars was being held at bay for a thousand years. Even during this time, the forest was bad, but it was not as bad as it could be because something in the heart of the forest was hindering it. The elements of harmony, even abandoned and dormant, were holding back the bad. And then they were removed. Again, my eyes caught something glinting in the early rays of dawn. It was ahead of us, out near the Everfree Forest. What's that? That, Calamity repeated. The glow, you mean? I nodded, then realising he couldn't see me, called out a yes. That, there's the Hope Solar Array. Only time of day when those dishes pick up enough sunlight to shine is the crack of dawn. He chuckled. We'll be passing right over it before we head into the Everfree, so y'all can get a good look. I nodded again, this time to myself. I was thinking about something Calamity had said about the Enclave. 
Okay, everyone, listen up. We're planning to try and separate the Wonderbolts, but there's a good chance we could get split up ourselves. We need a fallback position. You're thinking about the array? Calamity asked. It's close, but it's still quite a few miles from the forest's edge. Long way to go out in the open, especially if you're wounded. Drat. Think. Think. Okay, backup idea. I've got it. There's a farm right at the edge of the Everfree Forest. It's supposedly got landmines or ghosts or something, so be careful. Possibly a bad idea, but it was at least a landmark. Go near, not in. It was either that or Fluttershy's cottage, and I really didn't want to take Velvet Remedy back there. The others quickly agreed. We continued to fly, making small talk as the Everfree Forest drew ominously closer. I'd stopped staring out the window. I didn't really want to see the distance between us and the forest being eaten away. Looking into my companion's eyes, I could see everyone was feeling the same thing I was. A sense of wrongness, an inexplicable dread. Like our skin was too tight. I started feeling it the minute I started to smell the smoke. This was a bad plan. But the Wonderbolts were on a clock now. They'd come to get us, and my pip leg was drawing them right to me. With any luck, we shouldn't have to camp out in the forest for more than a few hours. I watched Life Bloom. He looked out of place among us. Yet a whole plan rested on his memory spell. Something clicked in my head, and I smacked my forehead with a hoof. Let me guess, I said, catching the unicorn's attention. You watched my memory ops first, and then memory spelled them into the other ponies of the Twilight Society, didn't you? And here, I'd been so smug thinking I would be able to keep them effectively incapacitated for days. Lifebloom gave me a pompous smile. Oh, absolutely. And then he frowned. Except for that last one. Memory Orb 8. I was quite convincing that it held nothing that any of them would want to see. I started to thank him, but he added, and I swiftly gouged it from my own memory to mitigate the trauma. Velvet Remedy nickered. I didn't know whether to be relieved or offended. Oh! Reggie perked up, flying closer. And why's that? It was the first thing she'd said all morning. Yay for it being about my sex life. None of your business, Lifebloom replied sharply. The unicorn buck moved across the passenger wagon and sat next to me in a soft whisper. He confessed. I meant no offence. Amarge and I have been friends for a very long time, and that's not the way I want to think of her. Attention, passengers, Calamity called back. If y'all look out your windows, you can see the whole solar array on your right. And if you look out to the front, you can get a real good look at the every forest. We'll be descending about 20 yards above the tree level for the next part of our trip. I jumped up, shifting to the window. Below and to the right, half a dozen concrete towers rose out of the ground. Five of them topped by giant bowls tiled inside with battered and weathered mirrors. A strange fixture rose up in the centre of each dish, making them seem a little like flowers, and the array like a giant artificial garden. One of the dishes had broken off its tower and toppled face down onto the ground next to it a large crack running up from it where it had first struck the ground. I floated out by binoculars for a closer look. A wasteland merchant had set up home and shop beneath the overturned dish. I suggest covering your muzzles. Air quality is likely to go downhill pretty damn quick. The air grew thick, acrid and hazy. Velvet Remedy passed me a scarf to wrap around my muzzle for protection. She had been thoughtful enough to purchase enough for everyone the one she gave Zenith was striped with red and gold, and looked simply ridiculous. 
We almost made it to the tree line when we heard the cracks of thunder behind us. Turning around, I saw five columns of black smoke, crackling with lightning, shooting up out of the Hope Solar Array. The Wonderbolts. Calamity yelled and began to flap his wings as hard he could, pouring on the speed. I enveloped the Sky Bandit in my magic, lightening his load as much as possible. They are bad hunters, Zenith complained. They have no stealth. It is as if they want to be seen. They do, Reggie called, catching back up. If they wanted, they could have attacked us the moment we flew over that place, or before. They're enjoying the chase, I suggested dourly. Oh, they're driving us into the every forest on purpose, Reggie called back. The haunted farm, with all of its exploded bits of dirt, was passing below us now. Only they didn't look like the disruptions caused by detonated landmines to me. They looked like the work of hellhounds. I ran to the back window, staring down at the farm as we passed over. In the yard, partially hidden under a tarp, was an enclave antenna array. It looked just like the one on the rooftop in Old Olney. Oh, fuck! I looked back up. The streaks of electrified black smoke had taken a sharp turn and were headed straight for us, catching up fast. Trees rushed beneath us, obscuring the farm. We were over the forest now. Heat rippled up at us, the world becoming an oven. We were in the Everfree. The unusual sense of dread grew. It was like bugs walking along my bones. The miles between us and the Wonderbolts closed rapidly as more of the forest shot past beneath us. I could see the orange of flames burning across the ground between the trees and along the shores of a river turned grey with ash. What the hell? Something was seriously wrong with this picture. Calamity gave a shout as a cliffside suddenly rose up in front of us. He turned sharply upward, the passenger wagon tilting steeply. We all tumbled towards the back, falling towards the glassless back window in the forest below. Zenith splayed out her hooves, catching the rear edges of the window as Lifebloom and I toppled against her. The jolt of panic caused my magic to implode. The sudden weight almost pulled Calamity from the sky. One of the Wonderbolts fired a shot. A single shot from what sounded like an anti-machine rifle. A hole opened up in the roof of the Sky Bandit, a matching one in the floor. I heard a strange pop. Calamity heard it too. With a scream of panic, he pulled us over the edge of the cliff, grassy ground appearing closely beneath us, before kicking the quick release on his harness with a shout of, Abandon wagon! Zenith pulled her legs in and dropped out the back window, followed by Life Bloom and myself. Pylite shot out a side window, as Velvet Remedy hurled herself out the door. Zenith hit the grass rolling. I slammed into the forest floor with a graceless thud. Small rocks and stiff plants lashing abrasions across my legs and under my chin as I skidded to a halt. If we hadn't been going mostly upward, Velvet Remedy hadn't even hit the ground where the Sky Bandit exploded in a pyrotechnic eruption of wild magic. I stumbled to my hooves, looking about for my friends. My mouth tasted like wet copper. My legs spasmed. I bruised all along my stomach and left side, making it hard to breathe. The world cantered, throwing me off balance, and I fell to the ground again. Scattered around us were burning hunks of twisted metal, the remains of the Sky Bandit. Seeing them drove a pang through my heart. Like we'd lost a dear pet or a treasured heirloom, Zenith had landed nearby. She had lost her scarf, but looked otherwise none for the worse for having fallen out of a passenger wagon just before the flying bomb lived up to its moniker. 
The zebra was on her hooves and looking much more steady than I thought I would ever be again. Zenith strode over and helped pull me back to my hooves. A moment later, Calamity swooped overhead. Where are the others? I called up to him. Clearing, just ahead! He shouted down to me before zipping ahead. I stumbled forward, my legs threatening to give out, my side protesting with every step. Just my luck that we had two healers with us now, and neither of them was with me. I just couldn't win. Zenith helped guide me forward, pushing through the foliage. The heat was oppressive, and the smoke choked my lungs, but the fire hadn't made it to this height yet. I was struck by the sense that something was seriously amiss. I paused, looking around, trying to put a hoof to what I was feeling. Nothing. Ouch! I whined as a leafy branch Zenith pushed aside came snapping back across my face. Pushing through the last of the underbrush, I ran into Velvet Remedy's backside, the impact sending me falling back onto my flanks, and then all the way down as my forelegs gave out. I stared in front of me between Velvet Remedy's hooves. A fiercely determined bunny rabbit stared back at me. The bunny was made of stone. Beyond the stone bunny, the grassy knoll rose up to where a massive weeping willow, twisted and ancient, rose above us. The rough bark of the tree was a strange, buttery yellow. Blue vines wrapped around its gnarled roots. Its drooping pink leaves swayed in a wind I couldn't feel. The tree was framed by the angry brown sky, choked with smoke. Beyond the tree, the hill sound dropped back downward into the fires of the Everfree Forest. The flames pushed forward by the dark silhouettes of Red-Eyes Griffins, their weapons pouring liquid fire across the ground. Footnote! Maximum level! I'm so glad the Velvet is back in the party. <laughs> Love that gal. Though I'm sad we didn't get to see more of Cage. He seemed like a great guy. Pity the Enclave decided it wasn't a bee. Well, now we're in the Everfree Forest. I can't see this going up for any of them, including the Wonderbolts. I'm nowhere near that mess of a place and it still gives me the willies. Anyway, music time. Here's the Wasteland Wailers with the Broken Wing Blues. Enjoy, people. Well, I bit the bullet. I drunk it dry. My heart is spilling over the sides of a tall glass of whiskey. That's killing pain My wings were broken All feathers and flames Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.